0: Well, good morning. Welcome once again to Redeemer Baptist Church. For those of you that are right here present with us and those of you joining us on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or Twitter, Uh, We want to welcome you to our worship together. I'm Chris. I get to open God's Word with you today. I invite you to open your Bibles, digital or otherwise, to the book of James, chapter 3. We're continuing in our study that we have entitled, Get Wise. James is trying to teach us as believers how are we as God's children called to live life in God's way. James is a New Testament book of wisdom very similar to the Old Testament book of Proverbs in many ways. James is saying, how do you work out the reality of the faith that God has given you in Jesus Christ? And James believes that your faith in Jesus has real world consequences. And so today we're going to see how James begins to address the issue of what we speak, how we talk, what we write, what we tweet about, what we put on Facebook, how we communicate. And he says, if you have a faith in Jesus Christ then there are real-world consequences to that faith in your speech. So, we're going to read from James chapter 3. I'm going to read all of it through verse 18, and then we'll dive in together. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things." How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's holy, inerrant, eternal word. May he add his blessing to its reading and its proclamation. As we look at James's teaching on our speech, what we say, how we talk, we recognize that godly wisdom, which we've defined as knowing how to do life God's way, requires a certain kind of knowledge that we know certain realities. And in the passage I just read, I'm going to say that there's four things at least that James wants us to know. He wants us to know the power of the tongue, He wants us to understand and know the problem of the tongue. He wants us to know the purpose of the tongue. And he wants us to know the purchaser of the tongue. So the power, the problem the purpose and the purchaser of the tongue. Now you can follow along using the paper notes or go online to YouTube, and, or, uh, sorry, version, and go to uh, the events function. You can have all of today's message notes there as well. Let's talk about the reality that our tongues have far more power than most of us are willing to give them. We were taught as children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. While well-intentioned, that's just not true. We all know that words have immense power. Most of us can remember things that were spoken to us or over us or about us from the time we were small children. We remember particularly those things that are negative. Some of us have very positive experiences where somebody spoke a blessing of truth or encouragement over our life and maybe that set our lives on a new direction. We remember words that were said perhaps in particular sermons. I remember uh, the the title and the text and, and much of the message the day that I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So we know that words have power. James understands that as well. So look in verse 5. He says, The tongue is a small member of your body. Um, He's saying a small organ, right? Relative to the rest of our our arms are bigger. Our feet are bigger. Uh, We're not like cows. We don't have those giant tongues, you know, right? Uh, He says, The tongue is a small member. Yet, it boasts of great things, of big things. The tongue has an outsized role in our lives. And James is going to argue that the tongue has real power to direct and influence our lives. If you look in verses 3 and 4, he talks about the tongue being uh, similar in some ways to like a bit in a horse's mouth right? It's very small. A bit is small relative to the size of a horse, yet you can control a horse using a bit and bridle, correct? I noticed Cheryl's nodding her head because she knows a lot about horses, right? So you use a small little bit, you put it in there, but using that bit, you can direct it. Or he says it's like a rudder of a ship. It's very small relative to the overall size of a ship, yet it's what determines Where the ship goes, if you look at the twin rudders of a giant aircraft carrier, they're very small, even though they're immense, and relative to you and me, they're very small relative to that giant floating city, right? And James is saying that just like that, our tongues end up guiding and directing our lives maybe in ways that we don't expect or understand. Because the tongue has real power to harm others. If you look in verse 5, James says, "...how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire." Now, in California, we know this is true. Just last week here in our city, we had somebody setting small campfires down in the riverbed, and it caused an immense response from our fire department because small little campfires can turn into great big fires that overwhelm a city like they did in Paradise, California, right? A very small fire can end up overwhelming vast acreages. And he says, that's what your tongue is like. And he says the tongue is a fire. He says it's actually a globe or a world of unrighteousness. So the tongue has real power to harm other people. And the tongue doesn't just have power to harm other people. James is going to say the tongue has real power, not just to direct our lives or harm other people, but to corrupt our own character, our identity, our being. Now let me just clarify something here, James is speaking to a primarily oral society. People primarily talked news or talked about what was happening. There was much less written down, certainly on paper or scrolls at the time, so there was no Twitter, there's no social media, there's no internet, there's no email, right? How do you communicate information? You do it orally. So the reason that matters to you and me is James is not just talking about what we say out of our mouths, but what we communicate. So anything that I bring up about the tongue today, you can overlay that onto anything that you write or anything that you even communicate non-verbally. Now with that in mind, keep this truth in your mind. The tongue has the power to corrupt your actual character and the course of your life. It can change your life's direction. James chapter 3, verse 6 of the second part, he says, the tongue is set among our members, amongst our body's organs, and he says, it's, in the ESV, it says, staining the whole body. Some other English translations say, corrupting the rest of the body. It tears down this. He's basically saying, the way we would put it today, is he would say, your tongue is a cancer. It's small, but It's deadly. And it's inside you. And it will change the entire course of your life. In fact, he goes on to say, the tongue is set on fire by hell itself. The way we humans communicate with each other has the power to corrupt reality. The tongue, James is going to go on to say, has real power to cause us To go further into idolatry of self and to have false confidence. Now, I'm going to spend all of next week unpacking that sentence that I just said. Because James has a lot more to say than we can do in one sermon. But... For now, if you go to Psalm 73, you can see what James is going to talk about in James chapter 4, verses 10 through 17, and chapter 5, verse 9, and chapter 5, verse 12, because it's very similar, but all packed into one place. So go to Psalm 73. James talks about people who scoff. They're cynical. They use their words to tear down. They speak with malice, loftily. They threaten oppression. They use threats to get their way. They set their mouths not just against fellow human beings, but against heaven itself. Like they're in control of ultimate reality and their tongue struts throughout the earth. And as we're going to see next week, James is going to unpack this, that we often say far more than we are actually in control of. So, I think we all can buy into the idea that the tongue has real power. Now, it's all not negative, right? The tongue has real power over death and corruption and all kinds of, of terrible things, but the tongue also has real power over life. In the book of Proverbs, we find that death and life are in the power of the tongue. The tongue doesn't just have to direct our lives in negative ways or be a forest fire that burns down other people or corrupt our character. In fact, the tongue has a life-giving reality to it. Now, we'll come back to that principle. But let's talk a little bit more about the problem of the tongue because James spends a lot of time there. Go all the way back to James chapter 1, verse 26. Remember James, using wisdom literature format, repeats truths over and over again? So you find there in James 1, 26, he introduces the idea of the problem of the tongue. And he says this, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Just, you know, we got to read that again. If you think you're religious, but you don't control your tongue, what you say, what you write, what you email, what you communicate, you're deceiving your own heart And your faith, your religion, your claims to be in a relationship with God, that's the kind of religion James is talking about. He's not talking about pharisaical man-made religion. He's talking about authentic gospel religion. Your claim to be a follower of Jesus is worthless. Wow. See, throughout Scripture... James, who's very familiar with God's word, knows that we are all commanded and called to restrain our tongues. Our tongues aren't to go unchecked. Uh, there's so many places I put references down in your notes, but just look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It's, he's echoing Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, by the way, if you want to see some examples, just go to read Proverbs 13, 14, and 15 and just see how many times the tongue is referenced or speech in various ways. Um, so Peter says, "...whoever desires to love life and see good days..." Now, who doesn't want to love life and see all of God's blessings? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Over and over again in Scripture, we are commanded to control what we communicate. And here's a problem. James is going to say, got bad news for you. You can't do it. You can't do what Psalms and Proverbs and even now I'm telling you to do. Not on your own. You can't do it. Uh, He's saying that we as sinners unredeemed sinners, without the grace of God that intervenes, we're unable to control what comes out of our mouths. Look in James chapter 3 verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. And James is talking about the fact that we sin, we fall, we get tripped up. Do you ever find words coming out of your mouth or you wrote something or you posted something? Uh, You sent a letter to somebody and you go, gosh, I wish I hadn't said that or I hadn't said it that way. This is my perpetual life. I speak for a living. There's not a single sermon. If you, ever, if you ever want to come up to me and go, gosh, pastor, I'm not sure you said that the right way. Here's good news for you. I'll just tell you, you're probably right. I speak for a living. There's not a Sunday that passes that I don't go back and play either visibly the, the real recording of the, of the message or in my mind what I'm saying And I go, gosh, I wish I had said that differently. I wish I had said it better. I wish I could communicate that truth more deeply, more effectively. We all stumble in many ways. And that's when I've got my best intentions on. And my guard at the highest. And I've prayed the most. How about when I'm not prayed up? When I'm not being protective or careful. When I don't have notes in front of me. We all stumble in many ways. In fact, James goes on to say, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. He's a complete man able also to bridle his whole body. Um, he goes on verses 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Bad news. The Bible told you to control your tongue unless you're Perfect you can't do it. There's only been one perfect person. Who lived a life that was perfect before God. He was fully God, fully man, God's son Jesus Christ, the only person who every word that ever came out of his mouth was nothing but blessing, truth, reproof and holiness from God. Right? And James goes on to expound more of the problems with the tongue. He says, we teach and tell other people more than we know and live. That's why he gives the warning in James chapter 3 verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, this is not just a warning that not many of you should teach Sunday school class or preach. That's not James's primary point. He's writing to the church as a whole. He's not writing to preachers or Sunday school teachers or deacons or elders here. He's writing to the church as a whole. Here's what he's saying. It's not the formal teaching that he's primarily concerned about. It's all the ways that we go up to one another during the week and say, let me tell you what you ought to do. You should have said... You should have done this or that or the other. Or we tell people, well, I would have, but the truth is we don't know what we would have done. We speak more than we actually know and live. Our verbal discipleship rarely matches up our actual followership of Jesus. Parents, right? You tell your kids something. We even have a joke about it, right? Do as I say, don't do as I do. We see it all the time on media. Politicians constantly revealing the corruption of their hearts and lives. They claim certain values, but they don't lift them. Right? Right? So that's a problem with our tongues. Uh, James goes on to say that we destroy the lives and work and character or confidence or faith of other people through our words. He's made this point over and over again, calling it a fire, a world of unrighteousness, saying the tongue set on fire by hell. He's not saying anything different, by the way, than the Apostle Paul has said. Go to Romans chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. Paul, quoting the Old Testament, says, Their throats are open graves. Now, think about that. Okay, just let that analogy. Have you ever been around a dead body that's rotting? Had that experience too many times as a police officer, as an EMT. It's not nice, it stinketh, as it would say in the old King James. And he's saying, that's what your speech is like, a rotting, foul smell. He goes on to say, there are people who use their tongues to deceive other people, to manipulate their perceptions of them or others, or to get them to buy in, or to vote, or to do something that they want you to do. It could be they, they want you to, to buy a product, so they're going to tell you that this thing is much better than it actually is. They're going to over-promise and under-deliver. He goes on to say, the venom of ass, that's poison of snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses, and bitterness. Bitterness. How often do we speak out of resentment and envy and covetousness? And Scripture's full of warnings about all the ways that we can sin and destroy against and sin against and destroy other people. We bear false witness. That's why the commandment that says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Right? We slander people we gossip about them. Proverbs eleven thirteen. 13, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. We tear down with our words. We destroy. Uh, Proverbs eleven nine. 9, With his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor. So that we can do what? Feel better about ourselves? We manipulate and deceive. Psalm chapter 5, verse 9. There is no truth in their mouth. I think this is referring to everybody who's trying to sell something, pretty much. There's no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. But that's all of us, isn't it? We're all trying to sell a perception of ourselves. How many of us go around telling the actual truth to other people about who we are? We show up late for an event. We always have an excuse. It's not that I was lazy and didn't get up five minutes earlier, right? We we try and get somebody to do something for us and we try and make it seem like it's advantageous to them. We're like Tom Sawyer trying to convince the kids to paint the fence for him. Our words bring us to all of these places and we bring destruction. And it's not... It's, it's, it's worse than that. Here's the thing. It's not just that we do this towards other people. We lie about God. We boast over God. And James is going to unpack that in so many ways in James 4. And we'll go there next week. But just... Listen to Psalm chapter 10, verses 3 and 7. The wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. This is verse 7. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity, and all of that is against God. God. That's why the, second com- or the third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That does not just mean don't use the word God as a curse word. It means stop saying things about God that aren't true. And the tongue... Well, the tongue's a real problem, but it's not the root problem. See, James is going to go further and say, here's the issue. The reason you can't control your tongue and you do all of these things with your tongue is because the tongue reveals the reality of your heart. How many times do we say things like, I didn't mean that? Now, in some ways, we might be trying to clarify. We're we, we do live in a broken world where communication can be difficult. Words might not come easily or fluidly to our mind, uh, particularly true with children, sometimes true with older adults. That might be true. So, so there's a, a way we can say that and mean that, but how often do we mean it in a way that is really trying to absolve us of our responsibility and shift blame? How many times do we say, Well, I didn't mean to be unkind, but what was revealed in our words and what we wrote and what we posted online was anger, selfishness, pride, bitterness, and other conditions of the heart. Look how James addresses that, verses 9 through 12. He says, "...with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with that same tongue we curse people who are made in the likeness of God." They, them, those people. From the same mouth, James says, come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Why? Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What is James saying? He's saying the same thing that his brother Jesus said. Jesus said, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. It goes on, verse 35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is verse uh, chapter 15, verse 18 of Matthew. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. This corrupts your life. In other words... When you and I talk, argue, debate, whenever we post, write, email, we're revealing what's inside us. And we will be held to account. Held to account. Matthew chapter 12 verse 36. Jesus is recorded there saying this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Do you feel the weight of the problem of the tongue? Now, I have some good news for you. It starts with this reality. The Bible doesn't start in Genesis chapter 3. I love how Pastor Steve Cuss says, he says, don't get your theology from this idea that the Bible starts in Genesis 3 with the recording of the fall of Adam and Eve who dared to defy God, who didn't believe God, who spoke only truth. And from that point on, they begin to speak nothing but lies, trying to blame each other, blame the devil, do all kinds of things with their speech. No, the Bible doesn't start there. The Bible starts in Genesis chapter 1 when a God who is good and holy speaks into being light and space and boundaries and the cosmos and redwood trees and vast deserts and giant oceans and everything that fills them that is living. God speaks and says, It is good. Which means, when He created your tongue, it had a good purpose. It had a good purpose. And let's talk about the purpose of the tongue. James understands this when he talks about the fact that we can bless God with our tongues, right? Uh, He talks about it in verse... Uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, when he says that there's a kind of speech that is directed by inward wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. And he says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace or wholeness by those who make peace. In other words, when you connect that to his discussion of the tongue, because that's what he's talking about is the wisdom that's revealed through your mouth, he's saying this, there's a way to speak that is impartial, sincere, authentic, peaceable. It sows peace into other people's lives. And Scripture, as much as it warns us against the tongue and commands us to restrain the tongue, it reminds us that our tongues are gifts from God. The tongue was given to you, brothers and sisters, first and foremost, to praise the very God who created you. Right? Right? The psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. In Colossians, we're told to sing psalms and hymns to one another. Praises unto God. Psalm 150 says this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And God gave us tongues to praise and glorify Him in all that we do. We're to Use our tongues to not speak cursing, as James says, but blessing over others. In the New Testament, we're told to bless our enemies. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling when people talk trash about you, but on the contrary, bless them, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Our tongues were gifted to us to speak truth in love to one another. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into him who is the head into Christ. In other words, we're to talk like Jesus talks. The calling of the Christian is not simply to restrain your tongue from bad speech. Otherwise, just do what some old desert ascetic might do and cut your tongue out so that you never say anything bad. Oh no, you're to use that tongue to bless other people and to speak truth into this world with a heart driven by love. The tongue is a gift of God to encourage and bring grace into other people's lives. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Let no corrupting or staining or dirty speech come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building others up It must be fitting to the occasion because we can speak true words that are truthful and even loving, but they're not well timed. I did that so many times this week. That it may give grace to those who hear. In other words, it can be an evidence of you encountering the grace of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have to speak against evil, but we do so in order to fight for truth and justice. The psalmist says, "...the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice." When Martin Luther King gets up, Martin Luther King Jr. gets up and says, "I have a dream for America of what it's supposed to look like and the way it ought to be and it's in line with the way scripture calls us to experience ethnic unity, folks. He's speaking justice." So we're called to use our mouths to speak truth and love and to speak against that which is evil. And our tongues are to display the reality of a transformed heart. When James says to us, listen, you shouldn't have what's supposed to be a freshwater spring spouting out salty water. He's saying if you've been transformed by the grace of God from the inside out, how can what comes out of your mouth not be the same grace and goodness that you have received? Paul, writing to the Philippians, puts it this way. He says, do all things without complaining or arguments. (laughs) Everything? (laughs) Every day? No complaining? No arguing? We used to have a little song with the girls when they were small, right? Uh, and and we, it was just this simple verse right there, just the first part of that, Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. We tried to use that as parents to stop them from complaining or arguing. Of course, we would go and complain and argue because we're hypocrites. So, <laughs> uh, so it says, do all things without complaining or arguing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Years ago, uh, somebody tweeted out something about this passage and they said, uh, you know, complaining and arguing never is a positive witness. And John Piper, Dr. John Piper tweeted back. He said, yes, but not complaining and not arguing is a positive witness. The way that you handle your speech is supposed to reflect the reality that you are a child of light saved by God's grace. And the way that you and I speak, even if it's with friends and we're, we're not speaking against someone that's right there, if we're complaining and grumbling and, and tearing people down or tearing down reality or complaining against God, are we revealing our belief that God is good, loving, and faithful? Are we revealing the unbeliefs, fears, and anxieties of our own hearts? Brothers and sisters, God gave you your tongue so that you could proclaim good news. In fact, here's the weird thing. God could have chosen to write in the sky with stars the entire gospel he did not choose to do so he could have given all of the animals of the world the right to speak forth gospel so every time you encountered a dolphin at sea world a parrot that could speak or a bear at a zoo they would be telling you the gospel of Jesus Christ he could have he did not Instead, he entrusted that good news to his image bearers to speak the gospel. When the angel delivers the apostles from their first round of imprisonment in Acts chapter 5, here's the words that are commanded by God Almighty. Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. Go speak life to the world. Peter's going to put it this way. You were called out of darkness into light and life. Go proclaim. You've been appointed to do that. Paul would write to the Romans this, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Unless someone hears the good news that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be that perfect and complete man who never sinned, not just with his speech, but in all of his life, in any of his attitudes and actions, who loved God perfectly in all ways and who loved others perfectly, who lived that life for us as our substitute, who died for us on the cross as our substitute, and then was raised from the grave. If people don't hear that good news from you, who are they going to hear it from? And if they have not heard, they cannot believe. Paul goes on to say, how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching, proclaiming, speaking, talking? Nobody comes to Jesus because you're nice. They might not come to Jesus because you're not nice. But unless you speak the gospel to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, they are not going to be saved. Because faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Brothers and sisters, God gave you a tongue to praise Him and invite others into the praise that goes on forever. Which brings us out of the purpose for the tongue to the purchaser of the tongue. James' whole book is written in light of the good news of who Jesus is. This section is an amplification of so many Old Testament prayers and thoughts. But maybe Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. What is a Redeemer? It's one who buys you. And the good news of the gospel applied to this set of truths is this, that our tongues, along with all of our bodies and all of our inmost being that drives those tongues, our tongues and our lives have been bought By the blood of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross not so that you could merely be absolved of your sin, but to purchase you and to bring you into right relationship with Him and to take all of the brokenness and evil of your past and to put it together into a beautiful display of His grace. That's redemption. You've been bought with a price, so glorify God with your tongue. If the good news begins in Genesis 1 that we were created in the image of God and there's bad news in Genesis 3 that our tongues fell, then there is also John 3.16 that God loves you so much that He would send His Son and if you would believe in Him, you can have life eternal beginning now and you are His. You belong to Him. Your tongues have been freed from the demand that they curse God and man. Your tongues have been healed from all the brokenness. How many of us speak broken things that we heard? Our parents spoke broken words over us, and we find ourselves saying to them, How many of you said, I'll never say those things that my mom and dad said? And then you do it. Your children, your grandchildren. Good news. Your tongue has been healed. It's been reconciled to the living God. Peter, speaking of this, says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so he paid the price. Why? So that we can be free to die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep that have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. There is a daily guide for what you should say, post, write, email and have come out of your life and his name is jesus who's alive more than that he's come to indwell us indwell us fill us with the spirit he has set up residence in us that our tongues can humbly encourage others and praise god Uh, This is not in your written notes. If you have the electronic ones, it's it's there. Uh, But go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And and I want you to see this connection. First part of the verse, verse 18, says this. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't be intoxicated with, with alcoholic spirits. Rather, be intoxicated or filled with the Spirit. Now, what's the indication? It's not, as much as my Pentecostal brothers would like to say, glossolalia or tongues, but it is having to do with the tongue. What's the indication that you've been filled with the Spirit? He says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Praise of God begins to fill the life of a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, singing and making melody to the Lord With your heart, your life is no longer full of complaining and bitterness and unbelief. Rather, you are out of your heart pouring forth glory unto God, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, it changes how you talk to God and to other people. No longer full of rebellion and cursing. And here's even more good news. Someday, though here and now, we're still in the presence of sin, delivered from its power and its penalty, we're still in sin's presence, right? But someday, sin's presence is gone. And you and I will spend forever using our tongues the way they were actually designed to be used. Go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. A glimpse into the throne room of heaven itself. All around the throne of God the Father and His Son Jesus is a great multitude. No one can number them from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Right? Languages, the ways we communicate, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, silently doing nothing. Nope. There are moments of silence in heaven, but not here, not in this moment. Clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, they're crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Forever, our speech will be about the glories of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, this week, we need to know the power of the tongue when we speak to other people. We need to know our calling to not let our tongues run unchecked. But we also need to know that what we find coming out of our mouths is the overflow of our hearts. We need to know that God has given us a divine purpose, but more than that, we need to rest in the goodness that we can use this gift of speech to speak grace and truth and love to others and praise God forever. Let's ask for that. Father God, we ask now that you would, in fact, take the brokenness of our speech. Maybe maybe this week, maybe this morning, maybe we said things already out of unbelief or fear or frustration that were not pleasing to you. We we ask for you to forgive those things and to not count them against us. We ask that you would set in our minds and in our hearts a new understanding this week that we might live in godly wisdom. More than that, we ask for your spirit to indwell us and to fill us so that the words that come out of our mouths would be a reflection of true, confident faith in you and not our anxiety, not our anger, not our selfishness, not our pride. We want rather truth and love and grace and goodness to come out that we might tell the world the goodness of Jesus and demonstrate that reality in real world love all, all as part of our praise service unto you. So now Lord as we come as a body to sing, to use the tongues you have given us to sing praises unto you we humbly ask but this week, in ways new and fresh and powerful, that we would experience the reality of your purchase and healing over our speech, over our posting, over our writing, over our communication in all ways. Whether that's between a husband and a wife, a parent and a child, neighbor to neighbor, coworker to coworker, church member to church member, we want you to be glorified. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen Lamb. Amen.